You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for today, and I thank you for every single person that's in this room. And Lord, I ask that you would really open our minds, that you would open our hearts uh, to hear what you would have to say today. I pray, Lord, that we would really connect with the idea of what it means to live a heaven-focused life, that that wouldn't be something that is intangible for us, that it would be a very tangible part of our day-to-day lives. And I pray that you would help my words to be clear and that they would be anointed by your Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, I am excited to talk to you guys today. I may sit down, if that's okay with you guys. I had an experience a couple of years ago where I was speaking to a group of people, and I locked my knees, and I almost passed out while I was talking. So ever since then, I I tend to try and sit down when I talk, Um, and I promise to not pass out today. All right, well, I'm excited to talk to you guys about heaven today, Um, and I don't know about the rest of you. I know last week you guys had a talk on heaven, and when Joe asked me to speak, and he told me what the topic was for the month, my first thought was, I don't know that I really spend all that much time thinking about heaven or what the role of heaven should play in my life. Uh, There's pretty much only two times that I think about it, and I would venture to guess that the same is true for you guys. The first is when someone dies, Um, when we lose someone that we love, and we go to a funeral, there's a lot of talk about heaven um, at that time. And then the second time we we tend to talk about heaven is when we're trying to lead someone to the Lord. If we're hearing a salvation message, we'll talk about, are you going to heaven, are you going to hell? Um, And so those are really the only two times that we tend to think about it. And so I started asking myself the question, I wonder what role if any, heaven should play in my day-to-day life. Because heaven seems like a very intangible, far-off, okay, I know that that's where I'm going to go when I die, but I'm stuck right now living here on earth, and earth is pretty consuming. (laughs) There's a lot of things to do. There's bills to to pay, there's um, classes to go to, there's jobs to do, there's relationships to have, there's conflicts to work through, there's um, the pain of this world. There's lots lots and lots of things that can consume us. And so I I just started reading through the Gospels, and I noticed that Jesus talked about heaven all of the time. He was always mentioning heaven, um, talking about what the kingdom of heaven was like, talking about his heavenly Father, talking um, uh, talking about, yeah, just the kingdom of heaven and and what that was going to be like. And so I realized if Jesus talks about it all of the time, then maybe I should start thinking about what kind of a role uh, heaven should play in my life on a day-to-day basis. And so that's what I want to talk to you guys about today. Um, I think when Jesus came, and the reason why he talked about heaven so much was that it was a core part of his identity. And he came to earth not just to live on earth and to kind of show us how to make it through until we get to heaven. He came to really introduce to us a whole new way of living here on earth, a whole new way of approaching life, a whole new perspective, a whole new way of doing relationships, a whole new way of living that was heaven-based, heaven-minded, as opposed to earth-focused and earth-minded. I want to be really clear that he didn't come to make heaven 
into earth. Is that me that's making that crackling noise? He didn't come to make heaven on earth. You know that 80s song, Ooh, Heaven is a Place on Earth? (laughs) Hey, baby, do you know what it's worth? We'll make heaven a place on earth. Um, That is not what he came to do. He did not come to say, okay, now... Now that you have me, now that you have a relationship with me, earth is all of a sudden going to become a heaven. It's going to become heaven for us. But I do think he came and he said, look, I offer you a whole new way of living here on earth that is contrary, totally contrary to the way that the rest of the world lives. And so um, so I want to look at this a little bit. Luke chapter 12. And this is a long passage, and I'm, I'm going to focus on the end of this passage. But if you go to Luke 12... Verse 16. He's telling this parable of this rich man. And he's talking about this rich man who basically in our society today, this would be a guy who made it big when he was young. He's the guy who was the millionaire by the time he was 30. And he decides, okay, I'm going to have all this wealth. I've accumulated all of this wealth. And now... I'm just going to retire early and live off of it. And God says to him in verse 20, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then you will get, Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? In other words, none of us really know how long we're going to have to enjoy the things that we have here on earth. What are you going to do when you die? Who's going to inherit all of this? He says, This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. And then he goes on and he talks to the disciples and he basically talks about how they're not to worry. They're not to worry about what they're going to wear, where they're going to eat, what kind of um, things that they're going to do. He says, do not set your heart, in verse 29 he says, do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it, for the pagan world runs after all such things and your father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. And then he goes on in verse 32 to say, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think a lot of times when we hear that passage of scripture, we primarily think of it in terms of money. We think, okay, well, what God's really saying here is, We just shouldn't hold so tightly to things. We shouldn't hold so tightly to our money because ultimately we aren't going to take it with us. But I wonder if there are other ways that we store up treasure here on earth that aren't financial, ways that our focus is maybe a little bit more earth-minded than it should be. And and without realizing it, we're, we're storing up a lot of things here on earth and we're not maybe living as heavenly focused as we should. Um, I started looking at I don't know if you guys love words, but I'm a total word nerd. (laughs) And I love the thesaurus. (laughs) Those of you who hang out with me for very long will know this. And I looked up, okay, what are some different words that are similar to the idea of treasure? I'm just curious to know. And so I looked up in the thesaurus, and this is what it says. Something that's a valuable, a prize, an abundance. Something that you highly esteem or a priority. And I think part of what Jesus is saying in this passage is not just, okay, let's figure out how we're going to handle our things and not hold so tightly to them, 
But I wonder if part of what he's saying, too, is let's not hold so tightly to the ways of the world. It says, um, where he says, do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Don't worry about it. The pagan world runs after all of these things. It says, and then where he says at the end, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I think some of us, a lot of us could probably answer, well, I know my treasure is not in finances because we don't have very much money. <laughs> or I know my, my treasure isn't in stuff because I don't own all of the things that I would want to own. But I wonder if there are ways that we have put our treasure in things that are earthly where we could reexamine and evaluate and say, is there a way that I could live a little bit more heaven-minded? So what does that mean in a practical way? Because <laughs> I think we hear that and we think, okay, that's great, but what does that actually mean? What does that actually look like? I want to tell you, first of all, what I think it's not. <laughs> the first thing I think it's not is I don't think it's weird. I think sometimes we're afraid of, okay, if I really shift my perspective to a more heaven-minded or heaven-focused perspective, I'm going to become some weirdo. And so what I'm not saying is that we, when we introduce ourselves to people, we say, hi, I'm Noelle. I'm an ambassador of heaven. <laughs> Greetings, earthlings. I've come to bring you peace. No, that's weird. I don't think we're called to be weird. And I don't think that living a heaven-focused life has to be weird. The second thing I don't think it is is I don't think it's irrelevant. I don't think it means that all of a sudden uh, we decide to go live in the woods and eat nothing but berries and live out of a knapsack. I know that you guys have probably talked in here before about there's been different phases in, the Christian, in Christian history of people withdrawing and people removing themselves from the world in order to be more heaven-focused. And that's, I don't think it has to be that way. I'm not saying that that's, that's not important from time to time, but I don't know that that's how we're going to make the greatest impact. And I don't think that we have, I think we can live a heaven-focused life and not be irrelevant. And the last thing that I think a heaven-focused life is not, is it's not judgmental. I don't think it means that all of a sudden we start carrying posters around that say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. <laughs> People don't even know what that means. <laughs> People have no idea what that means. All they know is it makes them feel bad. I don't think it means that we evaluate and we look and we say, well, that person's not going to heaven, this person is. I don't think it means that we become judgmental. So what does a heaven-focused life actually look like? I want to give you a few examples. These are ideas that are they're put more into our context, but the principles of them are things that Jesus taught throughout Scripture. And when he taught them, he often used the phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like, or the kingdom of heaven belongs to. So I want you guys to listen and see if you can hear some of, those, of these ideas in here. What if heaven-focused living looks like being kind when the salesperson is rude. Or choosing to pray for the person who cuts you off in traffic instead of cussing at them. <laughs> I used to have a terrible problem. A lot. <laughs> with, with getting very angry when people would cut me off in traffic. I've, the Lord has worked in me since then. Um... Giving generously, forgiving someone who hurts you, praying for someone, showing compassion to the rejected in our society, loving our enemies. 
And maybe you don't have any enemies, but just people you don't like very much. <laughs> doing, things, doing good things in secret and not needing to tell everyone about it. Feeding the hungry. Resolving a conflict with a friend. Honoring the elderly. A willingness to give up our place in line and let someone go ahead of us. Have you ever been, like, you, you come up to the grocery checkout line and you have, like, five things in your basket and you're in, in, in the express line and the person in front of you has, like, 40 things you, like, are counting because you're, like, you're not supposed to be in this line and I'm in a hurry. And I've thought before, I wish that person would just let me go ahead of them. <laughs> but what if I'm the person that has the 40 items in my basket and I see someone has three in theirs and I say, hey, do you want to go ahead of me? You need to get out of here a little bit quicker. What if it's um, crying with someone who's hurting or offering a word of encouragement to someone who's really discouraged? Confronting a friend in love if you see that there's something in their life that is destructive. I think these are all ways of living a heaven-focused life. And maybe we don't think of it that way, but if you look through the Gospels, these are all principles that Jesus taught. These are all ways that he lived. And when he taught on them and he lived on them and he lived them out, he referenced heaven all of the time. Um, There's one passage in particular that describes this when Jesus sent his disciples out in Matthew 10, verse 7 through 10. This is what he says. He's sending his disciples out. They're going to go around into different villages, and they're basically basically going to share um, the good news of Christ. He says, as you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts, Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or staff, for the worker is worth his keep. And what I want to highlight in this is, okay, he he says, as you go, preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is near. And so he's saying, okay, tell people, hey, heaven and the idea of heaven and principles of heaven is coming near through Jesus. But then what does he tell them to do? He gives them action. So heal the sick. Raise people from the dead. Drive out demons. We say, okay, well, that, I don't really see that happening. I've never seen anyone raised from the dead. I haven't either. But I think we could add to that, forgive somebody who's hurt you. <laughs> Share with someone in need. Give up your, your place in line in Walmart. <laughs> um, because he says, freely you have received and freely give. Okay, there's a story that I want to I wanna share that I think is a, practical story from today that is a perfect example of this and Patrick if you could pull up that picture there's going to be a picture that comes up here um do you guys see the little baby is he up there yet okay (laughs) this this baby is named Moses and I want to tell you the story this um Jacob and I have some friends my husband and I have some friends uh who are missionaries in Cambodia they do a ton of work with the poor over there and they were going, they have a program where they build houses for widows. Their whole idea is that they want to put orphans in families instead of having them all in an orphanage. And so they build homes for widows 
who don't have a place to live anymore because their husband has died, and then they put orphans in these homes with these widows, and they take care of the whole family unit. It's an awesome, awesome thing. So they were down by the river one day, and they were looking for, um, they were scouting out a place to build this home, and they heard this whimpering noise coming from um, a patch of bushes or weeds, I don't know. So they went over there thinking that it was some sort of an animal maybe that was dying, and it was this little baby. And this baby had been discarded, and it was covered with ants. I mean, ants just crawling all over it. So they took this baby, and, um, and they, they got it all cleaned up. They took it to the doctor, got, got him a, a full examination, and, and then they placed, the, placed this baby in a home with a family, and they named him Moses. And I don't know if you know the story of Moses from the Old Testament, but he was found in, um, in bushes. He had been discarded, and he grew up to become the leader of, of the Israelite people and a very strong follower of God. And so, uh, and so I love this story because I think this is a very tangible picture of what heaven-focused living looks like. Now, you may say, okay, well, I don't, I'm not finding babies in bushes. <laughs> I, <laughs> that's never happened to me. If I found a baby, I would certainly do something about it. <laughs> um, and that may be a more extreme example, but, but what I'm hoping that you're hearing in that is that there are lots of ways that we can live with more of a, an eternal perspective or more of a, a heaven-focused and less consumed with all of the day-to-day things of this world. I don't think that this is a very easy way to live. Um, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 through 46, Jesus talks about the parable of the hidden treasure and the pearl, and he says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. And I think what Jesus is saying here is to really grab hold of what the kingdom of heaven is like. It will cost all that you have. And not just your finances. That's not what he's saying. I think he's talking about the motivation of your heart and what you choose to focus on and what you choose to make the goal of your life. Is the goal of our life to to just sort of make it through earth until we get to heaven? Or is the goal of our life to really say, no, I want to be as much as I can who Jesus was walking around. I want to do the things that he did. I want to help people the way that he did. I want to love people the way that he did. I want to forgive people the way that he did. I think if we make that choice, it will cost us all that we have. That's what it says here. Um, And that it it will not be easy. And the reason why is that it is absolutely contrary to the way that the world works. Our world, the world that we live in, is very self-protective. It's very self-elevating. It's very inwardly focused, especially here in America. And what Jesus is teaching us in the Gospels is that heaven is outward-focused. Heaven is God-focused. And heaven involves living principles of life that are very contrary to how we live now. So how do we do it? How do we cultivate a heaven-focused life? The first thing is, I think that we have to decide what are we going to fix our gate, 
our gaze on, or more likely, who are we going to fix our gaze on? To fix our gaze on God. Jesus talks a lot about his heavenly father in the Gospels and how he knows his heavenly father, and the heavenly father reveals things to him, and he reveals them to others. And I think in that he was modeling something for us of how we can live a more heaven-focused life now, that as we know God and as we walk intimately with him, that he reveals things to us that we can then share with other people. He empowers us in a way that we couldn't do in our own strength to live um, this life. I want to share, there's a great example of this for me that came to mind when I was thinking about this. A few years ago, I ran the Chicago Marathon, and uh, it was an awesome experience. I went to school in Chicago, and so I had always um, wanted to run the Chicago Marathon. I had gone and watched people run it before. Friends of mine cheered them on. And so I decided to run it and um, trained. I did all of the training, and I, it actually went really well. Um, I was really pleased with how I did. My goal was to run the whole way and not stop, and I was, I was able to do that. But around mile 24, it started to get really hard. <laughs> And I, I just want, I wanted to stop so bad. I just thought my, my whole body just was aching. And every time I took a step, it was like pain, just reverberating. Well, when I had been training, I practiced on my longer runs positive self-talk. I don't know if you guys have ever, you know, like uh, the Saturday Night Live skit. I'm, you know, gosh darn it, people like me, that kind of thing. No. Um, <laughs> But when you are pushing your body so far, and it's so hard, um, you have to have some sort of motivation. Because, you know, at first, when I first started running, I was looking at the city. And I knew, I knew Chicago because I went to school there. I lived there for four years. I knew where the starting line was, and I knew where the finish line was. And I knew the city, so I'm looking around. There's all these people. There's people running dressed as chickens. And, I mean, all kinds of, like, interesting things to look at. They have bands. Um, but as you get toward the end, you're like, I don't care what is going on around me. I just want to stop running. And so I started to do my positive self-talk. So I'm running, and I'm saying, oh, oh, shoot. no worries. And so I'm running, and I'm saying, come on, Noelle, you can do it. Come on, one more step, come on. Come on, you're almost there. You can do it. And I'm not just saying this internally. I am yelling it out loud. Come on. Come on. You can do it. You're almost there. You've got two more miles. You are so close. You've ran the whole way. You are going to finish, and you are going to finish strong. And I'm like, come on. You can do it. You can do it. And so I'm, run, you know, I'm kind of running. I am running, but not very fast. And I'm yelling this out to myself. And there's this, and I start passing people who are giving up. They're, you know, they're starting to walk. And I'm, I'm like, come on, you can do it. And I'm just, I'm just focused on myself. Come on, come on. And, and this, I run by this guy and he's like, looks over and he's like, I can do it. And he's like, <laughs> so he goes, come on, you can do it. And he starts like running. And the lady next to him goes, you're right, I can do it too. And he's like, <laughs> So before long, there's this like little line of us, and we're just running, you know, and we're yelling. Now we're yelling at each other, and we're yelling at ourselves, and I'm yelling at the people in the crowd, you know, and and um, and I could see, I could see where the finish line was, and I, 
I had my gaze like just fixed on it, and they do this brutal thing with the Chicago Marathon where they make the last quarter mile of a hill. And so you're running up this hill, and it's not, it's not that steep, but it's enough to be like, I hate whoever planned this course. And, um, and so I knew that that was coming, and I had my little yelling partners with me, and I was like, all right, guys, we're about to hit the hill. We can do it. Come on. And so we're all just like yelling. And, and by now, there's like stadiums of people on both sides that are just cheering for you. They have no idea who you are, but they just think that you're awesome because you're running a marathon. And, and, uh, and so, so zeroed in and so focused. And I, I got through the, I crossed the finish line, and I just started weeping. I just was totally spent. And I'm like hugging the people that I've been running with. And I'm like, we did it. I think that is such a picture of what heaven-focused, heaven-focused life looks like. It requires a lot of concentration because there are so many things that can pull us away. It requires us to zero in and to know, okay, what are we shooting for? What are we going for? And it may require, I'm not saying like positive self-talk, but it may require us being willing to look a little bit foolish. And we have no idea how it might impact the people around us and how it might motivate us. Because I remember when I was training, my friend Maggie was training with me. I started doing that. She was like, what are you doing? Why are you yelling? And I'm running down the Santa Fe Trail. Come on, we can do it. It was preparation for when I got there. And it proved to be pivotal in me finishing the race strong. So the first one is we need to fix our gaze on God. The second is to let go of control. (laughs) To be willing to give up control of our lives to the Lord. And this, I think we say, okay, yeah, I mean, I know I'm a Christian. No, I'm talking about really letting go of control. Really saying, okay, what are the areas of my life that I kind of like to have them the way I want to have them? I kind of like the security of being the one that's in control. And instead, being willing to move to a posture that's more like this, that says, all right, Lord, I recognize that my life here on earth ultimately does not belong to me. And if I'm really going to live in a way that's going to show you to other people, I have to be willing to let you be the one that's in control. Jesus is a perfect example of this on the Mount of Olives before he died, before he was crucified. In his prayer, he said, Lord, if there's any way that you can make it different, please. But if not, whatever your will is, I submit to it. I think, especially in American culture, we love to be in control. Philippians 3, 7 through 8, says this. This is Paul talking and I want you to see that right before this, in this passage, he's, he's basically given all of his earthly qualifications, everything that at that time would make him valuable to the world. He's sort of just said, look, I have all of these things in line. According to the world where he was living at that time, of the, he was like it. He had everything in line. But this is what he says. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. 
So I think, secondly, we have to be willing to let go of control. And then third, I think living a heaven-focused life means that we take action, that we look for opportunities to go against our natural tendency, that we love people. Jesus said there's two commandments, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. I think this is a key in living a heaven-focused life is that we take action. Um, There's a story um, of something that the Lord did in me, it was probably about six months ago, there was a girl at the mill who um, who I just really had a hard time connecting with, and she would ask me for, she wanted a ride a lot of times home after the mill. And to be honest, I just really didn't want to give her a ride. It wasn't that I couldn't. I lived, like, right by her. I just, I would rather go out with my friends or go home, and I just, I just didn't, to be honest, I just felt selfish. I just didn't want to. And there was this one night where I took her home. And she's a girl. She's figuring out a lot of things in life. And she has a lot of questions. She's, been, she's come through a lot of hard things that, has, that have impacted her. And I was giving her a ride home. And I was cordial, but I wasn't kind. And I dropped her off. And I had been wrestling. I had been wrestling with even should I do it the whole mill. I was like, should I take her home or not? I don't know. I'm being very honest with you right now. <laughs> and um, so I took her home. I did what I felt like the Lord asked me to do, but I wasn't very kind to her. And I dropped her off, and I was driving home. And the Holy Spirit convicted me. I said, Noel, I'm not very pleased with how you were with that girl. And I was like, Lord, I did what you asked me to do. I gave her a ride home. <laughs> and so, yeah, but you weren't kind to her. And I, I was like, well, I wasn't for mean. <laughs> I wasn't rude, but God knows the motivation of my heart. And, and I started thinking, and, and I was like, okay. And the Lord was like, who, who do you think really cares about this girl? Who do you think really sees her and loves her? And I was like... I have no idea. And he was like, well, are you in her life? And I was like, yeah. He's like, do you think I love her? Yeah. Do you think I care about her? Yeah. Do you think I want her to know that she's accepted? Yes. Do you think I want her to have a relationship with me? Yes. How is she going to know that? Me. And in that moment, I just was like, Lord, I'm sorry. And it wasn't a shameful thing, and it wasn't out of drivenness or like a, gosh, I'm bad. It was more so, I'm so thankful that God loves me. I'm so thankful that he chooses to accept me. And I may be, I may not be the only person in her life, or what if I am? And what if there's someone in your life that's a little bit hard to love, and you might be the only person who would really allow the Lord to let you love them. Who would say, okay, Lord, I've got my gaze fixed on you, and I, I'm letting go of control, and I'm willing, I'm willing for you to fill me with the love for this person. So take action. What is the fruit of this? Um, I think there's a few things. First, I think that as we shift our gaze to being more heaven-focused, I think we will find ourselves having new perspective and new eyes. I guarantee you that when I 
when I find someone that's a little bit hard for me to love, that moment in my life and my walk with the Lord has forever changed the way I choose to respond. (laughs) Now, I may not always be perfect in how I choose to respond, but it has shifted the way that I think about it and the way that I see people. 2 Corinthians 4, 16. 16 through 5, 1. says, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are re- being renewed by day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So I think the first fruit that we'll find is perspective, new eyes that are fixed on the unseen things as opposed to the seen things. The second thing I think we'll find, the second fruit I think we'll find is perseverance. Paul, or Paul talks about this again if we go back to Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through 14. He says, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me earthbound? No. God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I think what Paul is saying is, I've gained perseverance not because I'm so caught up in the things of my day-to-day life, but because I understand that I'm fixing my eyes on something that's beyond me, that I'm called upward, heavenward, in Christ Jesus. The third thing that I think we will find is dependence on God. I don't think this is possible unless we live a dependent life on him. In the Gospels, Jesus talks about how the kingdom of heaven belongs to little children. And if you've ever watched little children, little children are very dependent upon their parents. I think if we are really to live a heaven-focused life, we have to acknowledge that we were created to be dependent upon God, that it is not possible for us to do it out of our own strength. There's too much that works against us with the world. We need him. We need to be dependent on him. So the third fruit is dependence. And the fourth is trust. (laughs) I think that living this way is a risk and that it's vulnerable. Like I said earlier, the world's way is self-protective and self-elevating. But this puts our, our hearts in the posture of saying, God sees me, God protects me, It's not the promise. I'm not going for the promise of treasure on earth, though I may experience that. That it's knowing that when we reach the end of our lives and we go back, kind of goes back to the beginning of what I said, that so often we think about heaven, maybe when we arrive at the end of our lives or as, well, someday I'll get there and then I'll know what that's like. That we can say, okay, when I get to the end of my life, I lived my life differently and I took a narrow road and it was the hardest thing I've ever done. 
but it also brought the greatest measure of life into my life that I've ever experienced. Um, I want to end with a story that I think demonstrates this in a really powerful way. Um, and then I think we'll have a couple minutes. I'd love to hear if anybody has thoughts. Do you ever do that, Joe, where you let people share? Okay. <laughs> um, this is, was written to Dear Abby. Do you guys know the Dear Abby column? Okay, so here's the story. So the young man from a wealthy family was about to graduate from high school. It was the custom in that affluent neighborhood for the parents to give the graduate an automobile. It's pretty nice. <laughs> Bill and his father had spent months looking at cars, and the week before graduation, they found the perfect car. Bill was certain that the car would be his on graduation night. Imagine his disappointment when on the eve of his graduation, Bill's father handed him a gift-wrapped Bible. Bill was so angry that he threw the Bible down and stormed out of the house, and he and his father never saw each other again. It was the news of his father's death that brought Bill home. As he sat one night going through his father's possessions that he was to inherit, he came across the Bible his father had given to him. He brushed away the dust and opened it to find a cashier's check dated the day of his graduation in the exact amount of the car that they had chosen together. And I read this story and I thought, it just was so powerful for me. Because I wondered if this guy, at that point in his life, having lost basically his relationship with his dad, never had the chance to experience that, if what he regretted was the car or his perspective. And I think he would probably say that he regretted his perspective. And so I feel like it's a great way to kind of close, and I think it sums up maybe what I'm trying to get at, which is that sometimes we can go for one thing and think that if we get that, that, that we will have attained what we want, but we miss out. And maybe it would have come to us anyway, but the loss of this man's relationship with his dad is far greater than the loss of that car. And how sad to have arrived after his dad's death at that realization, as opposed to way back in the beginning. So that's what I have for you guys. It's about 1035. And so um, I'd love to hear any thoughts or comments that you guys have, anything that resonated with you. So Joe, do you pass the mic around? Okay, that's great. Okay. So any thoughts? Anybody have any thoughts? Did what I say make sense? Confronting with love? That's great. Because I hate confrontation. <laughs> no, I think, I think if we really care about people then sometimes that means that we have to have a hard conversation. Because if, especially if someone's engaged in something that could be harmful to them, um, or, or if there's broken relationship between you and someone else, and you think, oh, well, I'll just kind of try to move forward and not really deal with it, but it really is impacting your relationship with them, I think the most loving thing that we can do is go and have an honest conversation and say, hey, because I care about you so much, 
I want to be honest with you because I want to have a relationship that can move forward. I want us to have a good friendship. We can't control how other people respond. We can only choose what we're going to do with the information that we have. But I think the Bible talks about us living in right relationship with each other, especially in the body of Christ. That's part of how we reflect God to, to the world around us. So it's important for us to be willing to have hard conversations with people. Other thoughts or comments? Yes. Yep, that's good. Other things? talks about that in Matthew when it says if you go into the place of worship and you remember that your brother has something against you I think the other thing is that there's an ownership on what is our responsibility oftentimes we love to look at other people and say well if they would just do this different if they would just make this decision if they would just come to me then this would all be fine but in actuality the Bible puts a lot of responsibility on us if we know that there's an issue if we know that there's a problem to respond to it. Take the plank out of your own eye before you see to remove the speck in your brother's eye. Um, Go to your brother if you know that there's something between the two of you when you go into a place of worship. Go to him and resolve it. Yeah. Other thoughts? Leah. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the hope of, and hopefully this came through, but to not just think about heaven in the terms of these sort of epic things or huge things, but to recognize that we can live it out in small ways and have a perspective that impacts our lives in the details, not just in the, in the, where are we going for eternity type thing. Anything else? Yeah, Erica. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that's great. Um, well, actually, because I was thinking about this all week, I asked the Lord to really make me aware of ways that I don't live this out. And I was amazed at how selfish I am. Um, and so I think part of it is uh, asking the, the Holy Spirit to just make us sensitive to areas of our lives where we could grow. Um, and then I think the other part of it is really capturing what is important to the Lord, like really getting a hold of what he values. He values more than anything, I think, re- relationship with us. He loves people so much, and he wants for them to know him. And the way that he accomplishes that is through us. And a lot of times we maybe take that on as a pressure-type thing. I don't think it's intended to be a pressure-type thing or a performance-oriented thing, but that it flows out of, out of relationship. And so I think it's looking at and examining our hearts, like what Leah talked about, saying, okay, Holy Spirit, I invite you to convict me if there's ways that I am, could choose to be more kind or I could choose to be more giving. Even in something as little as, I'll give you an example. This week I had a friend, I brought two sandwiches to work one day. And this is a very little example, but it's, it's what it is. And I had, my friend came in and she was talking about how hungry she was. She hadn't had a chance to bring lunch. Of course, I've been thinking on these scriptures all week and these ideas. She said, I'm so hungry. I don't, I forgot to bring lunch. And I have these two sandwiches sitting in my purse. And I'm like, I really want both of those sandwiches. <laughs> And and I was like, I'm just not going to say anything because I, I made the sandwiches. I own the sandwiches. My body needs the sandwiches to work the whole day. And so she said it again. It came, we were talking about something else. She said, man, I'm so hungry. I just, oh, I feel kind of weak. And I'm like, don't say anything. <laughs> but I was like, but then I had on, in my mind I had all these scriptures running through my head. And, and I was like, oh. And then, and so I was like, if she says it a third time, I know it's from God. <laughs> so, so she's, we're just kind of talking about something. And sure enough, she goes, I am, I have got to figure something. I don't know if I have time to go get lunch, but I am starving. And I was like, I actually brought two sandwiches with me. I said it like so. And I'm sure she was like, why didn't you offer one of them? The first time I said something, she had no idea of the little internal wrestling but isn't that like a picture of how we are sometimes? <laughs> no, this is mine. I want it. It's something stupid like a sandwich. And you have a friend who's hungry, you know? Anyway. All right, well, I think that's about it for today. But let me go ahead and pray for us, and then we'll be free to go. Heavenly Father, we love you, and we are so thankful for who you are in our lives. And more than anything, God, we want, we want to live this out. We want to live what you talked about in the Bible. We want to be like your son, Jesus. Um, and we don't want to do it out of performance or out of feeling like we have to be perfect or out of our own strength. We know that we can't do it in our own strength, that we are dependent upon you. And so we just acknowledge that before you right now as a group. And we say that we are dependent upon you to really walk as your disciples on this earth and to really love people the way that you've called us to love them. And so, Lord, thank you that your expectation for us is not that we would be perfect or that we would have it all together, or that we'd always do everything just right. But we, we pray, Lord, that we would be responsive to you, that we would be responsive to the leading of your Holy Spirit, that you would give us new eyes to see people the way you see them, to see circumstances not the way the world sees them, but from your perspective in heaven, Father, that we would see things from, with different eyes. 
and that you would empower us to respond well, to choose to forgive people who've hurt us, to love people, to share our sandwiches with people who are hungry. In the littlest things, in the biggest things, Lord, I pray that you would continue to mold us and make us into the men and women that you would have us to be. And I pray it would come out of deep relationship with you, love, loving relationship with you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.